0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Supervisor's Soapbox, where we blow the doors open to the struggles and triumphs of the world of BCBA supervision. We're also going to be addressing some hot topics that should or maybe shouldn't be a part of the supervision experience. We're going to let you guys decide. I am Christina Tenerello. These are my amazing co-hosts here, Mari Cerda and Margaret Hettenberg. So wonderful! Today we are going to welcome two out of the three uh, people from the Resilience Crew, Catalina Gonzalez and Daniel Mendoza. So we're really excited to talk to you both. I'm gonna let you both kind of introduce yourself, what you do, and then we're just gonna let the the convo go. So Catalina, we'll start with you first.
1: Okay, so thank you guys um, for having me. My name is Carolina Gonzalez. I reside in Los Angeles, California. Um, yes, beach weather all the time. Mm-hmm. And I am a behavior analyst. I am an assistant clinical director for Special Needs Network. I've been um, working with Special Needs Network for a little over eight years, and specifically in ABA, little uh six and a half-ish years. I am a pandemic BCBA. So I passed my exam um, last year, August. So I'm heading for that one year mark. Um, and I am first generation. I'm Latina. i um, I have six siblings, I have a big family. Um, I have older brothers, um, but I was the first one who graduated and kept pushing. I have four siblings under me who are also in, in school. One of them is going into her master's, or is in her master's in Applied Behavior Analyst also. And three of my siblings are in ABA, so. Mm. I love it, I love um, it. So talk about changing cycles, right? coming from like you know my family's um my mom is mexican my dad is from guatemala so like they're both immigrants and you know like i can't even i don't even know uh, like what they would have experienced like going to a whole new world right a new place new culture new value new language and what they here today
0: i love that Amazing. amazing
2: Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, good afternoon, or good morning. My name is Daniel Mendoza. Um, So currently I'm the clinical director at Special Needs Network. Um, I've been with Special Needs Network for about 11 years in ABA, about 22 years. I am 41 years old and I started doing ABA when I was 19. Um, I started working with adults, uh, psychiatric patients, um, a lot of outpatient stuff, uh, individuals living in home or or working on integrating individuals into the community. Um, I really, I have, my experience has ranged from adults to children, like I said, uh, working on three to one cases, two to one cases as a technician. and uh through like management about so like 11 years ago i started working for special needs network and i started uh working on this program that we have is called camp jpeg and camp jpeg what it is is a fully inclusive camp for children diagnosed with autism and their typical developing peers um and essentially the way the camp works is um is a little bit it is kind of uh, innovative in the sense that it doesn't necessarily separate kids by um diagnosis or or lack thereof it um, splits splits kids up just by age. So you have a lot of individuals diagnosed with autism and a lot of individuals that are neurotypical um, in the same room. you know, I ran that program. I still kind of relatively involved in that program. The last time I ran that program was uh, 2018. Um, was it 2019? 2018, 2019. Um, something like that. But, you know, I ran it. I started it from the from the ground up with a team um, in about uh, 2010. It was my first year. Um and one of the things that kind of that program showed me was the ability for individuals diagnosed with autism and neurotypical individuals. You know, I really don't like saying those two, 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 two things that way. But just it, kids with with uh, uh, that, you know, identified as autism and not identified as autism, being in the same room and just the the rich amount of socialization that can happen. So that kind of really opened my eyes to a whole new world. Um that was really interesting. 2016, we opened up a clinic program and we have been running an ABA agency. Um, for the last 5 6 years um predominantly working out of uh Compton Watts South LA area all underserved the predominance of uh, the individuals that we serve are are Latin American and black um and and uh, the our at-special needs network one of the main things that we pride ourselves in is also having um leadership from BIPOC backgrounds so even our um Our leadership team is predominantly black brown asian um you know we're honest in all honesty uh white people or caucasian individuals are the minority there's i think we have one in 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 our leadership team and that's i'm not saying that's something to be proud of i'm saying what it that we do have to be proud of is the fact that in in an environment where um where the demographics for bcbas look like they look we kind of have flipped that. So I say that in in, in discussing our ABA program, because our ABA, ABA program not only focuses on um, delivering services to underserved communities, but also uh, men, uh, mentoring individuals of color or BIPOC uh, backgrounds to delivering services. So um, th- those three things kind of summarize me as far as like my experience, um, the development of programs and the development of, of services, prov- uh, provided to underserved communities while mentoring individuals of color, um, all at the same time. So those three things kind of like encompass who I am as a person and like next steps kind of, uh, leadership and, 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 and putting content out there that is, uh, kind of like in the area too of, of underserved communities.
0: I love that. And I feel like you, kn- you knocked that out of the park because all of us were shaking our head when you said that, which is fantastic. And, and actually, I do want to talk a little bit about, like, why you guys decided to kind of start Resilience and highlight one particular episode that I listened to with the parent where she had noted that um, the technician, the BCBA, um, she felt represented because um, they were um, – Uh, she, she used the words, they looked like us, you know, they fit in with our family. So is that kind of like, where did it come from where you guys decided? Like, we want to kind of, we want to talk, um, more about, cause I feel like resilience brings like the parent perspective, does it not? Or is that kind of how it started?
2: It really does. Um, and if I had to really like credit someone, right. Um, or credit or where this kind of started you know, you know, one thing is funny, um, the. They say that Kanye West, whenever um someone's in the room, right, whatever he, where, someone's in the room and he's making a song, like he'll send them a check, right, like when he's making a song because that person, like you gotta pay for that vibe, you know what I'm saying? Like you, like it's a royalty, right? Okay, cool. So kind of using that. The reason I say that is because if I had really had a credit, and it had to go back to someone, it has it would have to be um, to Ariva Martin, who's who's uh, runs Special Needs Network. She is the one of the co-founders of Special Needs Network, and throughout the years at Special Needs Network, one of the things that really has been um, uh, uh, important is really understanding that parent perspective and she is she has a, she's a lawyer she has a son diagnosed with autism and then she started a special needs network right okay so really kind of working with someone that is so entrenched in civil rights civil rights movements the rights of individuals developmental disabilities but then also on the side of that having a child diagnosed with autism really like it it, especially in leadership allows you to understand the parent perspective a whole lot more so I would say um, not that like she essentially kind of like said like, hey, start this podcast or anything. No, because it's kind of like Special Needs Network and whatever we're doing with resilience is, is separate. But what I'm saying is the experience there and really knowing and under un, 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 knowing, understanding the underlying motivations of a parent and at the same time building an organization and so many programs with with uh, with someone like this. Uh, gives you the richness of understanding parents. So from that, I think that's really one of the main things. Um, and then also um, working within the community for so many years, you hear a lot of really um, uh, not so great stories with regard to ABA. So even at like camp, you know, initially we didn't have an ABA program. We ju- we were just running camp, right? Um, we would get kids over the summer and the the we would end up talking to parents and the parents would tell us all these things that would be going on with their kid, either not having services or even when they're getting services, what the services look like and how they were treated, yada, yada, yada. So that's that was kind of that kind of added, right? The other part of this is that we get a lot of cases from other practitioners, right? Or other um, big agencies, is like really big agencies. <laughs> And a, a a common thread that I've seen with the cases that we get is almost like this. I hear you know it. it, it it's stated in so many different ways, and like you could see it kind of underlying in the in the um, in the way like an FBA is written, or in the way a report is written. Like, and it's underlying kind of like parent is difficult, and then a lot of these diff like difficult parents are black and brown, you know. So. Um, a lot of the difficulty that has been expressed by other providers prior to us getting the cases is stuff that's kind of culturally ingrained, you know? Um, and 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 even kind of like uh really understanding the parents and where they're coming from and how they kind of approach the situation, right? Um, or as far as uh like different situations. Let me give you one example and then I'm gonna pass it on to Carol. Um Yes. Uh, the other day I had a meeting, uh, the, the parent was a, uh, a Nigerian parent, right? Um, the text messages were coming across like, kind of like, like a little, like rough. Right. Um, and I kind of just kind of, I, I didn't give him any feedback in the moment. You know, he was coming to a meeting. I said, Hey, you know, we'll wait around, whatever, whatever. But they came, they were really dry, you know? Uh, first of all, I know that text messages don't come across too well, you know, and then he came into the meeting. The first thing that I told him, I just reassured him, hey, you know what? Well, we're here to make sure that you're getting good services. We want to make sure that you're OK. We want to make sure that your family is OK. We want to make sure that your daughter is, is treated well um, and kind of like asked them to, f- to, to give them feedback. Now, right. Given the text messages that I had seen and I've seen other text messages in the past. Right. I could have taken the approach of giving them feedback like, um please, you know, Hey, you know what? That wasn't appropriate. That wasn't professional or whatever. I could have started the the conversation that way, or I could have just, I started it reassuring him that we're good, right. That we're here for him. And then, you know, that kind of sets off the situation in two, for, in two different ways. One, I could, I could get confrontational immediately or two, I could really make sure that I we're friendly. So what did that do? Um, uh, it, it it really calmed the situation down and allowed us to kind of have a really good conversation during the meeting. And again, like the cultural, c- cultural consideration at that point was um, I've in the past worked with um, with with uh, other Nigerian parents um, and I'm not going to say that, you know, Nigerians are aggressive. I'm just saying like sometimes the way the language comes from different people, because I know it from my mom, Latin American, she's a Salvadorian. <laughs> she could like she'll come across really harsh on a text message you know but then you know it everything is good right um so it was a lot of that you know a lot of kind of um once we were getting these cases we're interacting with parents then I'm seeing in uh, we're seeing like face to face what's going on um and and really being able to solve those situations and uh knowing that the issues that came along with the case and allowed the case to be identified quote unquote difficult or a difficult parent were cultural issues, you know, where, where the perspective that was taken when, uh, when identifying or tacting the parents kind of behavior uh, was that the parent was being difficult, but that's, you know, it was the, 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 the practitioner's kind of perspective, you know what I'm saying? So a lot, a, a lot of, uh, You know, after getting so many of those, you get a little upset, to tell you the truth. So um, Brazilians came as a result of all those those kind of things.
1: Carol, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I love the fact that he mentioned about his mom and she could come off like a little strong because it's true. Like, honestly, my grandma, I was raised by my grandma. Um, My mom was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was five um so i didn't like grow up with my mom um but my grandma you look at her she looks so sweet but she her voice when she starts talking she sounds aggressive and she sounds like she's mad you know i was just there yesterday and i was like oh my god i'm gonna hear it you know but it's it's not even that she's upset or anything it's part of the culture it's kind of normal to talk like this right we're just a little more Stern, you had to be because of the you know obstacles that you faced in your life, you know. So I think being really culturally aware is is pivotal for success in in your training, right? Um, so that I just wanted to share that. And I I come from a perspective where I grew up with a, a parent that has a diagnosis, so I. I always had to, like, grow up with, like, family members or friends talking about their mother and, and sharing different, like, stories. And um, I never talked about my mom, you know, because my mom has schizophrenia and my mom will go through episodes. You know, I was afraid of my mom for a while. And I went through cycles in my own form of, like, trauma of it. Right? So there's a stigma. Right? And I always face that with my mother. I love my mother. I still see my mother you know, uh, we hang out, we do all kinds of random stuff. Um, so I I put myself in parents' shoes um, and thinking about, you know, not just ABA, but like, this is a human being. This is a person, right? This is someone who has a child with diagnosis and this is their whole world. You know, I've met so many parents who tell me I'm, I was an engineer. I was this, I was that. And they stop and they they really work on like helping their their son their daughter like you're working with the most valuable thing a human being can have like their child right so when daniel mentioned this and he was the brains of it um i was like i'm in it i've I can't say I'm perfect either. I definitely, you know, had parents who who were a little more, like, I felt a little rough or, like, would come at me. And and the idea is not to take it personal because once you take it personal, then you're not being a professional and you're not looking out for the best of that child in that family. And just listening to all the stories um, that our families have shared thus far, like, I cried multiple times in the episodes, you know? um, I think you mentioned, Christina, about uh, the mother who mentioned that that she worked with people who look like her and she felt accepted, right? Mm -hmm. So we do have to talk about like, you know, culture sensitivity, but also like, look at the demographics in ABA. How can we better support other people who have different backgrounds and make our field a lot stronger. Um, So that's what I think about that. So yeah, Daniel was the brace.
3: (laughs) I I just want to pipe in. I love that um, because, you know, there there's also the additional piece of the cultural aspect and that's the intersectionality of, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, being both autistic and, you know, indigenous Mestiza We have a lot of the same kind of blunt and abruptness, you know, that you see in some of those other kind of Latinx cultures, you know, where we're very direct. And and so I think one of the the I don't want to say challenges, but the 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 journeys that I'm having is, you know, being both autistic and in that culture, like sometimes I'm like, is this my autism bluntness? Or is this my, you know, Latina, Mestiza, indigenous culture coming in? Or is it both? And I think, you know, it's important that there's just this Foundation of recognizing that there's so many intersections at play, um, you know, with culture, with experience, right? Some of some of us do have the culture, but maybe because we are white passing or maybe because somebody is neurotypical passing, they may not have the same learning history that also creates an intersection Um, that impacts how their culture manifests and how they are seen or how they present themselves. So I just, I think that's just a beautiful thing that y'all are trying to bring about an awareness because there's just so many intersections, even within a culture based on geographics, based on socioeconomics. I mean, there's just so many things that come into play. Um, And, and I, I, you know, I know Christina, we, you know, we've kind of talked about just the amazing work that you're doing, just bringing these voices to the forefront. Um, and and they're, the, they're some of the most important voices. You know, yes, being autistic, I am for the autistic community to have the voice, but the parents need help too. They have to be right there as part of that, you know, that community and part of that, you know, getting the supports that they need. And so I, I just think it's amazing what you're doing. And, and we're, you're speaking our language. <laughs>
2: Yeah, from the perspective of of, uh, just like a behavior analytic perspective, this is the way we look at it. So um, there's a perspective of culture and kind of understanding that. But there's also the perspective of of a behavior analyst. And if I'm going to be the main driver, right, if I'm going to work with the family, um, to 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 adjust environments so that a child can be successful and they can act, they can develop skills that is going to give them independence or the best quality of life, right? Um, you know, per as defined by that family and that individual. Then you know, I'm going to have to work closely. I'm going to have to manipulate the environment, right? And who's the biggest manipulator of the environment? The parents. They dominate the environment, right? So like. You know, from a behavior analytic perspective, like it behooves you to understand, work with parents, develop these relationships as quick as possible and be able to understand the parents um, so that that environment can be changed. Right. And that in the environment, again, is is uh, embedded largely in culture. Lar- like, all it's all culture. It's all culture. So, you know, the fact that um, we are not looking at this enough is kind of... I feel like you, have, you guys ever watched like a uh, uh, Seinfeld and like bizarro land or like in bizarro land. Right. And then they have what like, I feel like I'm in bizarro world. Like this is so bizarre. Think about it. Like the we talk about manipulating the environment so much. Right. OK, cool. The environment is literally antecedents in a in, in, a, in a B C relationship. All right. Cool. All right. So. You know, behaviors are embedded in an environment. In a, all right, cool. And then culture is 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 basically all that environment. So, like the fact that we're not studying enough, it enough. The fact that we're late to it. The fact that it's like brand new to people is so awkward. Like, think about it. Like, what are you know what I'm saying? It's 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 awkward, right? So, <laughs> um, and and I I don't I don't I don't know if I'm being kind of like disrespectful kind of arrogant while saying that but I'm just like dude like bro you know like what are we doing
3: right like we've been here hello I mean we we didn't just like pop up one day like three years ago we've been here Mm -hmm. um yeah no I get it and and I think one of the things too that we we need to look at addressing directly is the social validity measures um that was actually something that I had posted the other day was you know everything right now is based on neurotypical social validity measures we're not even speaking the same language as to what's valuable to a neurotypical versus an autistic individual so i know for a fact we're not looking at social validity related to all of those other intersections that you just addressed and until we have diverse individuals in the field you're not going to know or learn how to develop a social validity measure to the work you're doing that is directly connected to that family's culture to that environment to all of those antecedents and I just think it's wonderful what you're doing and I I I would like to ask like for those coming into the field so like for our supervisees what what are some things that you want you want to make sure that that supervision experience includes so that they can because it's it it's not just like this checkbox of like okay I'm I'm culturally humble or I'm you know culturally competent it's not as simple as a checkbox because everyone is so individualized you know based on all of these different experiences that come into this Culture. So, what 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 are some things that you would you know recommend to anyone that is in that supervision experience to help make sure that these new analysts aren't like, oh wow, where did this group of people come from? You know, like we've we've been
1: here. That's a great question, Money. Um, so. <sighs> I'm going to take Daniel's line because he says this all the time. Um, He mentions if I could expose you to be with all the tough cases, that's what I'm going to do. Right. Because you have to go through it. You have to go through it like, okay, we're facing barriers with um, intervention. Maybe the parent said something that came off or that you felt attacked. Um, Maybe parents don't want to use extinction and you have to figure out different methods and how to apply intervention, right? So what you're essentially doing by exposing and and following through what, quote unquote, is... uh, hard parent to work with or hard environment to work in is you creating like malleable minds like let's be flexible let's adjust let's not just be rigid this is multiple ways to do one thing so let's use ABA and let's be flexible and figure it out that's what I was saying Daniel I don't know if you have anything else
2: yeah you know um the biggest thing for me uh and it's it's probably one thing that I could say is uh, uh humility humility and and you know what like there's a humanness to humility right um people call- some people say cultural humility I think there's another word for cultural something um but just humility i think humility in general uh is a foundation to everything. And as a result of having that humility, then you're going to walk into different places in different, in the same way. Um, and as a result of that humility, right. Like knowing that you don't know so much, right. Though, uh, then you can be, a, a student, right. OK, so then once you put yourself in the humble position and then the student position, then you, you know, what do students do? We study, students study. Right. So then you can start studying the family, studying uh, the environment and 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 learning. How am I going to fit in naturally? You know, and the way I could, you know, give you a. Um, like a visualization of this is one of the things that I used to do way back with one of the kids that I used to work with um, when we were fading out. Like uh, I used to sit in the corner and I would sit low and then I, um, and I would just watch from the corner like he knew I was in there or, you know, I'd come in at random times into the classroom. So what I'm saying is like take that huddle approach. Watch, you know. I mean, definitely you're going to start, you know, you're going to do what you have to do when you're starting a case. You're going to do what you have to do when you're working with the family. Right. But at the same time, take that mentality of I'm going to watch, I'm going to learn and I'm going to ask as many questions so that I can know how to best fit in with this family and and give them a service. So that's uh, that's one I guess. I'm just adding a second one in my life in 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 the middle of talking. Uh, the other part, I think there is a level of um, and, you know, and this is related to humility. There's a level of entitlement and arrogance that lives in behavior analysis in the sense that because we know the science we know it all. You know what I'm saying? So if you have that mentality walking into somebody's house, you're going to disregard so many things. Right. If you have that mentality, then you can't be the student. Right. I had I had someone tell me one day, well, I'm the man. I'm the I'm the BCBA. You see those letters behind my name. You know, that parent better, you know, recognize. And I was like, bro, you know, um, you know, like you got to back up. You can't can't like, uh, you know, you can't approach families that way. You have to have the respect and, and, and continually adjust so that you can support them. But that entitlement and arrogance as a result of, you know, having those letters behind your name. And we're not taking anything away from anyone. Right. In the sense that, hey, you worked really hard. You deserve to be prideful in, 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 in in what you have accomplished um, at the same time you know this is just the beginning of the, of your of your journey and at the same time anything with you know that is not like any behavior that is not balanced you know tends to be like uh, unhealthy you know and at some point i guess you know if we're if pride is a covert behavior or you know like there's some words that are going on in your head meanwhile you you you, you know that kind of a, are identified as quote-unquote pride right like a functional class verbal functional class of like covert behavior um the, you know if you're overdoing it then that's um that's going to be an antecedent to a lot of like maladaptive behavior on your side as a behavior analyst so um the other part you know so and you know, as re- related to that is a, a lot of BCVAs are young, you know, and don't may not have kids. I'm not going to say don't have kids, but may not have kids. Like I don't have kids. I don't know what it's like to have kids and go through, you know, whatever, whatever. So I have to, you know, I have to be humble to so much. And I have to be humble to the fact that, you know, when like, specifically when I was in my twenties, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't so aware of life in general, you know, and what those pressures are like. So I think humble, not necessarily being arrogant and and not necessarily being entitled um, are very important
4: absolutely yeah that's that's what I've I've been just shaking my head the whole time um but I I see that in terms of um like BCBAs that I've worked with are very young um and don't have just a lot of experience in general and so um parent training is extremely difficult and it's not always um focused on in the supervision process as well and the um like the majority of the settings that I've worked in have been in a clinic. And so, I mean, you fulfill that requirement of meeting with the parent, but they're, you know, depending on the, the situation or the availability of the family, you may not have a ton of contact. Um with the family, you're just working through things, um, that occur in the, in the clinic. So every, everything that you're saying is just, I'm like, yes, um, yeah. cause it, it, it is so important. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think that if a family kind of has a bad experience with a BCBA that just isn't as aware as aware or humble or willing to admit those things then that's kind of where this bad kind of reputation can can start because oftentimes I find myself in um parent meetings and, and sure there's conversations where they are seeking advice about something but honestly the majority of meetings is just people wanting to like talk to to someone that they feel like understands or won't judge them um and that's important, too. I think if you go into a parent training with like, here's my agenda. This is what we're going to talk about. This is what you could be doing better at home. That's not going to go um, anywhere either. Sometimes you just need to sit down and be like, how are we doing? What's going on? Tell me something good that happened this this week. And. I- just hearing that as, as a parent myself, you know, that really just kind of allows you to take a deep breath and kind of start the meeting off in a very positive place to then go, go wherever. Um, Well, and I think too, I mean, you guys
0: are, you guys are predominantly in in areas that are not, um, in not Beverly Hills, you know what I mean? So you're working in areas where, um, you have, uh, parents and families have experiences that uh, not everyone has if you don't live in that area, right? Um, You know, driving through Compton, Watts, certain parts of Long Beach I mean, you see it. So it's just, do you feel like because you have really brought more of this perspective of individuals um, that these families can relate to, um, that you have a, you can build that relationship a lot easier? Because I, I, I think, you know, if you bring in um, you know, we've all worked in homes that you're like, all right, it's, it's this, it is what it is kind of a thing. Um, but I, I think that what I'm trying to say is, I think, is it helpful that you've brought, you know, it, it breaks down the barrier and, um, and you just get more of that perspective taking from the clinicians, but also the families There's just, it's just the bond. Is there faster? Do you think that that's helped? Uh, or is that is that wall still up from family sometimes?
2: Oh, from the family's perspective, yeah. um, because we. Initially, so what I can tell you is I, I do I've been doing FBAs in South LA for a really long time, for years. Right. Um, and parents will initially kind of um, have that kind of like the wall up, I guess. Because I think um, so, the perspective that we have to take, or the way the way we have to look at things, or the way I look at things, is from a systems uh, perspective, right? Okay, Um, so if we're looking at things from a systems perspective, then we're going to take the perspective. We're going to look at uh, how the system has treated certain individuals from certain backgrounds, Um, and the tendency is that people that are black, brown, minorities. BIPOC, the system doesn't necessarily treat you as well as it should, right? We all we all know it. This is where systemic racism comes in. This is where you know critical race theory and all this stuff kind of uh, um, is is important uh, for us to consider. So, having that said, um, we are agents of the system. So that that you know, and given that history right, you're coming in, you represent the system. So they're not as trusting as what I can tell you. However, it does help that we are black, brown or, or, or of minority also, right? And then the other part of it is you do have to break down the, the barriers. Um, and I think the fact that a lot of us are from South LA, so a lot of us, you know, literally grew, either grew up in South LA, have family in South LA or whatever, right? that just helps you know because you're just kind of like naturally fitting you know uh i'm salvadorian so when i talk spanish my spanish is very salvadorian like you could tell right so we 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 work with a lot of salvadorian families and like there's a there's a lot a lot of latin americans in in south la um and i think once parents um hear that like if i talk to them in spanish then they they it's almost like a sigh of relief you know you know, I even like will make like, you know, kind of undertones of like Salvadorian like jokes and stuff, you know, like stuff that you kind of say, uh, you know, all cultures have it that where people just I like, know it, identify it. And it's like it does it does help you ease in.
1: Essentially pairing. <laughs> yeah. First pairing, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that you still sorry, Mari. Yeah, no, I don't think know. that you still like um yes, I go into the homes and they see me and they see like oh this is like my tia or this is um like my niece, right? So some someone that looks like them does help like Daniel mentioned, but I still represent the system. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's always mistrust or or not necessarily like opening up initially. So it's up to you as the individual and coming in very humble. I am the student, being flexible, right? Um, And listening to them and what are their values or what are their concerns and what does it look like day by day in their home? Um, And yeah, maybe you do just need to have one hour conversation getting to know them Mm -hmm. and building that trust. There's a trust, you know, like Daniel mentioned, and there's a mistrust already. So you have to work on that. You have, as an individual, and it's my due diligence to make sure that we do build this relationship because then it's going to help us in the future. You're going to more likely come to me if you're concerned about an intervention, that you don't like something. Right. Versus like dropping the ball. Like, you know, you know what? I can't do this. There was no you didn't communicate ahead. You just said, I don't want ABA services. Right. But if we have that relationship together. Right. You're more likely not to feel like I'm going to judge you instead you're going to listen to me and we're going to work something out. This is a team effort. We're here together as a team. I am not just a BCBA. I am your teammate. Let's figure this out together. So I think mm-hmm. you have to really come out. And, and I think whether you're black, you're white, or it doesn't matter who, what background you come from, but if you come with that approach, you're going to be, it's going to be easier for you to establish that trusting relationship with those families. Well, and I want to
0: add, too, that I, I think that it doesn't matter if parents are extremely educated or not educated. It's still their child. So their priority is still their kid. You know, I've worked with um, uh, parents who have PhDs and I've worked with parents who haven't. And the concerns are still the same because at the end of the day, you you wear your parent, your you know, your mom and dad hat. And so um, I think that a lot of... of um, a lot of clinicians need to take that perspective as well. It's like, this is their child. And, you know, we're here for two, three, four, five hours, whatever it may be, but this is their life, you know? And so sometimes, you know, Daniel and, and, and Carol, I love that you mentioned that, like, I don't have kids, but that doesn't mean that um, I'm unable to take that perspective, you know? And I think that for clinicians that don't necessarily have children um, teaching that, that this is, this is their life, you know, uh, and, um, I think is important for sure. Madi, do you want to say something? Sorry, I cut you
1: off.
3: No, you're good. I just want to just say thank you for bringing up the fact that even though we are part of that culture, there is that mistrust. Like, you know, I'm working with migrant families, um, a lot of times and, I represent that school system, you know, I represent the system that potentially could separate them, especially here in Texas, right? There's that that's really an issue that's happening. And so there is almost in the beginning, even more lack of trust, because it's like, are you a mole? You know, are you have you been planted to intentionally, catch me off guard, you know, because the families will absorb the child. The moment that the school says, okay, there's, there is an issue, we possibly have, you know, an eligibility for special education, the family will immediately absorb this child and we never see them again, you know, because there is just such a fear. And, and unfortunately where I live, it's rightfully so that this fear exists. Um, and, And so that's, I think, you know, it's important to recognize that, that, you know, even if you are, you know, BIPOC, BBIMP, whatever, and you, uh, you you know, you go into these communities now wearing this hat, you are no longer just a community member, you are someone that potentially could disrupt the entire, you know, like the the homeostasis of the community. And I think you have to also go in with caution. Um, So I'm glad that you brought that up. And then I also just kind of wanted to circle back for the you know, we do have supervisors and supervisees that listen to this podcast. And so I want to clarify, you know, Carolina, when you said that it's so critical that we expose supervisees to these tough cases from the jump, that doesn't mean that you get assigned that or supervisors listening that you assign that and then you just let them, you cut high and dry and you let them go. And you're yeah. like, have fun, figure this out. Like, this is a true mentorship where you are in the trenches with them you are helping them navigate these difficult and complex situations you know because that's that's something we come back to all the time is the culture of supervision and yes these supervisees need to see the tough cases but that isn't the hazing of here you go here's all these 15 tough cases like i'll figure it out yeah, I'll touch base in <laughs> no. like a month, you know. But that's what we see, and that's where the damage really gets done, and we perpetuate this toxic culture of supervision. So, absolutely, I and and I know that you know you meant that as a it's a collaborative effort between the supervisor and the the supervisee um, or the RBT whoever you know it, it is that's that's getting this this support. Um, because you're right, they they do need the exposure, but it's got to be under your guidance and under your supervision. It's
1: not a have fun. Bye. Exactly. Even even after you write, um, I'm a BCBA now and I still seek for for consult. And, you know, I'm constantly like calling Daniel or calling my other um, assistant clinical director and seeking for their support right it doesn't just stop um as being a trainee it just continues right and your bcb says like if you're not competent in something that you need to seek consult and that's exactly what you need to be able to do yeah i love that mari yeah so my experience has been very different i know um when because i've only worked with one organization right special needs network and i think I lived in my bubble for a very long time and now I'm being exposed to other people's experience and not having the best supervision and I was shocked and every single time shocked what people go through it's hurting like and I just think about if that individual as a supervisor went through all of that like what's going on with the families and how were they affected? How was the child affected as well, right? But yeah, I I honestly, I do feel like I was privileged. I was in a bubble this whole time. Um, My goal is just to continue working with Daniel and sharing as much as we can, right? Um, So, yeah.
0: Well, I think it's it's a testament to how good your um, agency is, is if you've pretty much stayed there the whole entire time. Because we know what um, that this field the turnover is high, and and people hop, you know, agency to agency. So I I don't I think if anything, um, you know, Special Needs Network should be proud that they've had you as long as they've had, and you know that you've kind of grew up within that agency. It's it's only a testament to how how well that is and I'm thinking too that that should be the majority not the minority anymore you know that that should be yeah I've stayed here they've fostered me they've mentored me and you know here's my you know I, I, I've i worked my way within this company and I've had a great experience I mean we should be hearing more of that story of those stories than the opposite and unfortunately it's not that way so <laughs> I, I did want to ask too like moving forward though so where where do you guys see what you want to continue to accomplish with resilience and and um and do you want to keep you know amplifying parent voices because i i i like you you as well as that i'm very passionate about hearing family voices and their experiences and and um like Marty said you know never to invalidate the the autistic person um but the the families, it's I, I work mainly in the school district, and it's one of the things that I miss working at home is working with these families. I mean, it's you, unless you've done it, you can't even really describe that experience and how amazing it is. And so... Um, and yes, everyone's had that, you know, family, that difficult, quote unquote, difficult parent. But you still get it and w- where they're coming from. So where do you guys see yourself kind of taking this to continue amplifying those voices? Or what do you think?
2: So, yeah. So amplifying the voices, I think, is, is really important. So that's where we're at right now. Um, we also want to develop a... a uh, like a community of parents and the community of parents and BCBAs though, you know, where, um, there is some, some engagement with each other, um, to kind of bring about, uh, more change. So there there's that. And then there's also, uh, telling stories of, of, of success and failure, you know, maybe, um, having BCBAs and, and families, you know come on and and just kind of have a discussion of of uh, where there have been failures like let's say let's say you know you're working with a family and you're implementing a bip like what failed you know what i'm saying like it's not it fail is a no- fail failing is the norm in this in this in this type of field right you're gonna fail your intervention is gonna fail like all the time um you're gonna have to tinker with it adjust it and then and then over time, it's going to be successful, right? Like uh, you know, we're not all geniuses and we're not all going to write like the best VIPs or programs or whatever. So um, going going through those kind of stories, figuring out where successes and failures have happened and making that very acceptable, normal and, you know, looking at it from the lens of of storytelling and where how relationships continue to be built during, you know, d- while working with the family. So those are some things that we we do look at uh, in the future. Um, the really resilience is supposed to be an inter- intersection of uh, parents and, and BCBAs or clinicians. Um, the other part of it is uh, getting information out there for parents with regard to like conservatorship, for example. like What does that look like? Um, there's parents that don't have, don't have any idea, just general information on like IEPs, you know, how to advocate for your kid. There's also BCBAs that have no idea, you know, like how to behave in an IEP, um, or just kind of knowing the technical aspects of, of some of these things, you know, with the field growing so much, right? Like you have to be able to walk into an IEP and, kind of understand the environment to a certain degree, at least, you know, if like if you're working at home or if you're working within the school, if you're working within the school as a BCBA, you probably have a lot of information on IEPs and, you know, a lot, not if you're working at home, like, you know, we have clinicians all the time asking us, right? Like, Hey, I'm going into an IEP. What do I need to say? Like, and I tell them really like nothing. All you need to do is go in there, be quiet, listen to, you know, what they're, what they're saying. It's your job to kind of go in there and learn you know, and see and really investigate, like, wait, you know, cause a lot of times when you go to IPs, kids do stuff at school. That's like crazy. Like you're, you know, like they can, you know, uh, uh, the things that they would never have shown you like that they can do at home or like, you know, and then at school, they're doing all this stuff or vice versa. Right. Sometimes in school, they're like, you know, not doing much, but then at home, you have them like saying like uh five, you know, five word man's or something, you know what I'm saying? So your job is to be in there and, you know, be a student, listen to all these other services, how your, the child is interacting, yada, 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 right? Kind of all of that stuff. Um, and, and so, again, the BCBA is learning about IEPs and, and how to, you know, interact while the parent is learning about IEPs and kind of what their rights are and stuff like that to a certain degree. So really bringing all of those pieces together for for everyone, because if people are working together, then essentially the person that wins is the child and the family. They win. Right. If you have a really solid team that is coordinating care across like occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, uh, ABA and school services, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a lot more successful. So as a BCBA, you have to understand how to manage yourself, negotiate, motivate people, and not walk into an IEP, you know, you know, ready to kind of shut everybody down and tell them, you know, science bitch, you know, no, like that's not cool, you know. <laughs> people aren't going to take people ain't going people are not going to, you know, uh take that well, right? Um and different practices um are practices as a result of being successful working with kids and yes. You know what I'm saying? Like so all of that kind of stuff, these are all things that we want to have for families and practitioners in the future so that, um, the kids win, you know, kids win. One
1: thing. Um, so Dan, you explained like the values or where we're heading towards, but we're also BCBAs, right. So we love everything that's like operationally defined and very systematic. So, It is our little baby but we are going to be branching into like trainings um spanish podcasts so you know it's all in the near future so we will definitely be updating you guys when that's going to be happening um but that's everything what daniel said but in a very systematic approach
3: love it i love it yeah you just let us know so we can like (laughs) broadcast the heck out of it hundred percent
0: you know and it's it's just so uh, refreshing to hear what you what you two are saying i i feel like you're breathing life into all of us um because sometimes we feel um like we're driving the crazy train uh so to speak when we have these um uh i don't want to say opinions but for lack of a better word opinions thoughts um about you know Our fellow colleagues, you know, when you're talking about humbleness and perspective taking with families and um, uh, intersectionality and working in underserved communities. And, you know, I I think sometimes you think you're the only one. And so when you both are just I mean, everything you're saying, it just I feel like it's leaving us speechless. So it's just fantastic uh, what you what you guys are doing. Um, It's amazing. So. I know that both of you are kind of starting to do um, well, Daniel, I know that you, you know, you're always posting what you're doing, but um, Catalina, you too, that you guys are starting to do more talks as well. I saw some things that you're doing. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um,
1: so we can push that
0: out as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I am an extrovert, but disguised, right? So I'm, Pretty much an introvert. I and and I'm still working on that. Um, just being like, like talking and being comfortable with who I am and in my own skin and and. I have some slang because I grew up in South Lane. I speak Spanglish, you know, so, and then I'm also professional, which uh, in my opinion, like I always thought a professional needs to talk and dress and look a certain way, right? So uh, there's this whole like imposter syndrome that I hold and I'm still trying to like, break free from it um so daniel has been be, been able to provide different opportunities and one of those is being able to talk about cultural uh competencies and and being like very humble like exactly what we're doing right now um so we've i've had the privilege of um having to talk with like tarbox um also um with areva martin and and being alive with the thousands, well, hundreds of people, I want to say thousands, hundreds of people. Um, so it's definitely, you know, very nerve-wracking and I get really nervous and right before a speech or like something that happens, I get like bowel movements. <laughs> so just FYI. I, I don't, it. it always happens. I'm still working <laughs> on myself and figuring out why so, that happens. But It's that how you process. Really. You just yeah. brought life
2: that little smiley uh, <laughs> uh, emoji. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just being comfortable. I, honestly, I feel very comfortable right now. I think you guys fostered that environment. So just kudos for you guys. You know, oh, with you. the work that you guys are doing. Um, so I did that did not happen today, but typically if I'm about to do a <laughs> something, I I get nervous in different ways. <laughs> no, yeah, but dang you. I don't
2: know if you want to share anything else with that. Yeah. So uh, like as far as stuff that's coming up or just what um, what I'm personally working on, um, I'm doing a few things. Uh, one, I'm part of the public policy committee for CalABA right now. So I'm, I am like rules. I like rights. Um, and I know that uh, advocacy efforts are Managed through laws So you know laws either have to change Or have to be created to make sure that there's Access to care or whatever the case might be Um so I'm I'm part of that committee Um the other th- another thing um Caliber recently opened some positions Um uh, public relations pos- uh, Position um And I'm going to be running for that So I have to submit my paperwork For that so uh I'm doing That um Also um uh, I've uh, been I've been working on another podcast. Uh, what is the science? Uh, that podcast is I'm still kind of figuring out the direction of it. I want it to be kind of an intersection of culture, uh, tech, and behavior analysis. I want it to be digestible by by the masses, and I I want to have like really like I like having really tough conversations, you know, and I really like pushing the envelope, you know, just like one like. Okay, like one conversation, right? One conversation that I think needs to be had, and I think people might get mad about this one, right? But who cares? Um, critical race theory, right? Critical race theory. There's this whole thing about, and you know, about systemic racism. Yada yada yada. Right? Okay, so. We can either as Latin Americans, blacks or, you know, whatever, whatever minority you are, we can sit around and complain about critical, uh, uh, complain about uh, systems and systemic oppression or whatever, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Right. And we can have we can allow that cloud to to fog our vision in life or we can once we realize it's there, you could wake up and fight. And you could also wake up and realize, hey, systemic racism may not end up, to, might not end tomorrow, right? But at the end of the day, I have the responsibility of getting up, getting out there and being successful. You know, it's kind of it's like, I call it being woke, but culturally kind of woke to the system, you know, Um There is no excuse for for us black and brown people or or people of uh, black indigenous uh, BIPOC to kind of say, well, systemic racism, this systemic racism that at some point, you know what I'm saying? It's got to end. It's got to end in the sense that you got to work and and kick the system's ass, basically. Um, I'm a kind of like a no excuses guy. Right. Right. At the same time, at the same time, having the sensitivity of, hey, there's people out there that probably that just have no clue. Right. Like I, you know, I will still go like I'll go to the barbershop. Right. Um, The last time I went to the barbershop on the block, on the block, block in the hood um, was a few years ago. And they're just people that, you know, in the hood, whether they're black or brown or whatever the case might be, they just don't understand life beyond the block. People live on a block. Their mentality is that block mentality. Okay, cool. That person's not woke. You know that person lives under the uh, in that cloud, right? So they just have no understanding, right? And 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 there are people. I have friends, you know, still to this day that complain about the system, this, that, and third, and basically are not really doing anything, right? So I think you know conversations around critical race theory that, and then telling stories of people that have made it out and made it up, you know, I think it is good, but at the same time, kind of understanding and really understanding that. Uh, the way out of, of a lot of uh, kind of systemic oppression is through entrepreneurship. Um, so I want to explore entrepreneurship and all that with regard to, you know, critical race theory and all of these things, all these topics that are important and how they're kind of related to behavior analysis and also giving people a perspective, you know, in behavior analysis of what people go through and have to fight through to then be successful, you know. Um, so that What is a Science uh, podcast is 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 is, is coming along. I've already recorded a few. I just haven't pushed anything out. Um, I'm also part of the equity diversity inclusion, um, Calab, uh, special interest group. And we have a conference coming up from, I think it's July 16th through the 18th. Yeah. July 16th through the 18th. It's completely free. One of the considerations when planning this, uh, this, uh, uh conference that we made is that, that a lot of people are going through a lot of financial hardships so what we're going to do is we're going to provide access to uh content for free we're going to stream it over facebook youtube um and on and on a webpage um with the overall goal of like i said giving access now we are going to charge for ceus um uh, only but at the end of the day the content is going to be out there and living um, so that's another part of, 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 uh, what we, what we got going on. And, um, the last thing, um, I, I do personally have an LLC, behavioral analytics. Um, I'm really into data. I'm really into like data mining and a whole bunch of stuff, technology. Right. Um, and on that side, what I also want to create is a platform, you know, look, you know, there's, there's a lot of entrepreneurship going on in, in ABA, and money talks right and money is essentially power and you know wherever you put your money you're going to essentially empower those people or kind of you know uh, money and power and coalitions are all related right like you 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 create voting blocks and all of this right what i'm saying is uh There are sites, there are individuals that are kind of putting out content. I want to create a website where people can put out content of like BIPOC, kind of like a behavior live. Um, and, And you can put your content here. You know, we're not going to charge you that much money. We're not going to charge you an arm and a leg. Come in, rec- let's record it. Let's get you paid. We'll 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 take a fee for whatever you know uh, the work it, that is done. But at the end of the day, you get to make some money on your own, and we get to concentrate. You know, social kind of pressure, money coalition to then kind of bring more people up. So all of these things that I'm kind of discussing is. Is, is creating opportunities opportunities of leadership for individuals and and really being up there even with being uh, part of calaba the the board is is just making sure that boards are very diverse making sure that we are teaching people how to you know um, how to move up, making sure to people understand that moving up is very important and that you can move up beyond like your agency. Like you could work on, at your agency, but then also be a leader within ABA. Like all of these things are within reach. So all you gotta do is like contact us or contact somebody and we're gonna help you up because that's the goal, you know, to 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 mentor more people upwards. So kind of this, that's where all of these things, um, like in my head, me personally, is is uh, kind of like the direction that they're going. And that's kind of like the, the, the theme is leadership of uh, people of color.
0: Damn. Well, I don't even know how we I feel like we should just end it
3: there. That was. That was <laughs> Oh, it was Shut dumb. it down, Daniel <laughs> <laughs> nice. Shut it down Drop that mic and we'll just walk away <laughs> But that's just music to our ears I mean, because that's, that's in a sense like leap You know, we it was it was just like you, Daniel Like, okay, we can sit and gripe about the fact that there's a disparity of diverse practitioners Or we can have a game plan and have an, ha- have action steps All right, what's the barrier? Money? okay, cool, let's offer you supervision scholarships. Like let's make that no longer an excuse. And then it really is about, is this what you value? Is this what you wanna do? Because then there is no room to complain. If you, you know, you were talking about that block mentality, if the individual wants to stay in that block mentality and that's what they value, then there is no room to criticize that that's where you want to be. But if you don't want to be there and you value something beyond that, then you have to take action steps. You can't just stay in the space and expect your verbal behavior to be what moves you out of it without any kind of action. So.
0: Right. Absolutely.
3: Love it. Love it. Well, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I
0: hope that you uh, come back. I know we're missing Marco. So he had a scheduling conflict for sure. So hopefully you guys come back and, and, um, and he'll be on too. And we can just, I mean, I'm just excited to see how this grows. I think this is fantastic. What you are doing. It's, it's so needed. And I think it's something that I could see this moving. You know, you're, you're working in a specific area of Southern California, but you know, I'm, I'm out here in the Inland Empire, and there's plenty of need for this as well out in San Bernardino County. And so, you know, it's just definitely, I could see this growing um, immensely. So, and then just moving, it's not even so much growing. It's, you know, the, from like a business perspective, it's just this mentality of like, Let's amplify more parent voices. Let's, you know, um, the advocacy just, it's just amazing. I I can't even say enough amazing things about what you're doing. So thank you so much. With that, I think, um, I feel like... You know, it wasn't even a bad thing for us stepping on our soapbox, but we're gonna go ahead and step (laughs) off our soapbox. I can't wait for you you guys to come back. This was fantastic, and uh, we'll see you on Instagram for sure.
1: (laughs) Definitely.
3: Thank you both. Thank you so much. thank you. you. Uh,